Okay, welcome back to part two of the September edition of the Luton Town Sports Trust podcast. Uh, as I said at the end of part one, in this part we will be going through the fullbacks of that afternoon at Manchester City in our blast from the past section. Then we'll have a discussion on a couple of the topics that are uh, doing the rounds in football at the moment. Uh, the All-Star Game proposal, looking forward to getting the guys' views on that. Also looking forward to getting their views on uh, ways to sort out the cost of living crisis with regards to football clubs with the EFL meeting on Thursday to discuss that. We'll have a chat about Nathan Jones's comments after the Blackburn game and we'll look ahead to the next five matches, which I'm looking forward to James's predictions as anyone else who uh, listens to this podcast regularly will be. But before we get to all that, Tony, let's go back in time. Yep. Nearly 40 years to that afternoon at Manchester City. Obviously, in the first part of this um, section of the podcast, we looked at the manager and the goalkeeper. So let's go through the two fullbacks from that afternoon. We'll do. We'll go through the squad fullbacks later in the season, but the two fullbacks that played that afternoon, Clive Goodyear, who most people of my generation will know as the physio of the football club, not necessarily the left back of the football club, uh, but everyone will know Basher Stevens. So let's start with Basher because he is Luton legend in Luton folklore for a goal that he scored before that Manchester City game, but he was equally important that afternoon. Oh, you mean the goal that he can't remember too much about? Never says a word about it. Exactly, yeah. Um, he, he is. He, he's a legend, Basher. He's uh, he was great. He was one of these uh, players. Always played with a smile on his face. Always gave a hundred percent. But he could play as well. And uh, I, I've a lot of um, great memories of of him playing for us. Um, the sort of play you know, you, you if you remember Tim Breaker, Kev, you yeah. know, the sort of performance he put in, Basher was very much in that mold, never say die. Um, he, he you knew what you were going to get with him, you knew you were going to get 100%. Um, he wouldn't let you down that way, even if he had he had a bad game. And I don't remember him having ever having too, too many bad games. Um, he 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 wouldn't let you down. He, you know, he, he came from Nuneaton. He came into our side uh, as uh, a total unknown, and he, he made that right back slot his own. And he gave us a good few years' service. And you know, I was disappointed when he left to go to Coventry City, um, his hometown club. But you couldn't blame him for that. Um, and you know, as far as I'm concerned, he, he's welcome at Luton anytime. Yeah, it's always good to see him. He's a character and he, he, he's always smiling and laughing. He's got loads of time for the fans and, you know, a, a, a great, great player for us. Obviously, he played the entire 90 minutes of that afternoon at Man City, but he's probably best known for the goal he scored at Watford and also for being a yeah. goalkeeper. Yeah, so I, 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 I remember I was at that game um, at Anfield and um, when Finley got injured... Uh, you know, the, the usual thing was Mal Donaghy would go in goal because Mal Donaghy was a reasonable goalkeeper. We'd seen him playing goal before uh, because he grew up playing Gaelic football. And when, when Stevens went in goal, what the bloody hell was going on here? But um, he went in goal and, and, and the most memorable thing about that was uh, the cops singing Shaking Stevens to him. That, that, was, that, that was just funny. It was so funny. It was unusual because... Liverpool actually scored their three goals against three different goalkeepers. 
Yeah, I was going to say because yeah. Donaghy did end up in goal after Basher, didn't he? It was like they were taking yeah. uh, taking turns in that game. Of course, that was the days where goalkeepers on the bench weren't a thing. So um, you know, if your goalkeeper got injured or sent off, it was player going in goal, much like uh, well, most modern time that I can remember it for Luton's Kevin Nichols at Preston. But that, even that's going back a few years. I'm sure there has been a player in goal since then. I just can't can't remember it. Uh, it he was a real servant though wasn't he Basio I mean also part of the Division 2 winning side the season before the Man City game so yeah. um, you know he in any role of honour he's got to be right up there isn't he and I remember when I wrote for the programme and I got people's all-time Luton 11s people of the generation above me you know my dad's generation would all have him at right back I mean my generation yeah. probably would have Tim Breaker like you say but here you know dad's generation Kirk, Kirk Stevens all 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 the time. Yeah, um, you know we we were very lucky in that period, the seventies and and the eighties, that we had three um, outstanding blood and guts fullbacks in in uh, Steve Buckley, who was who was a left back, um, and we had more. We had, John Ryan was was like that as well, uh, Basher and uh, Tim Breaker, and yeah, he, 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 I'd have I'd have. Uh, Basher in, in my team as as right back, great great player. He could play as well, you know. He could play, and he he was um, probably a forerunner of Danny Hilton because he was he was a little bit on the shithousery side as well, winding the opposition up. You could see him. He, he was in their ear and he, he was laughing at them. If if he got the ball easily off a off a forward, or they cocked up and he come away, you, you could see he was laughing at them. Totally laughing at, and and you know, just great to see football played like that with a smile on your face. It was brilliant, great he, time to be a Luton fan. And, and he often does co-commentary alongside Simon for I follow now as well, doesn't he? And he's great. Yeah, and he he, he he's de- he's entertaining. He's back. He is, he's he is great entertaining. On, he's great on there. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic servant for the club, and um, certainly got his place in in our history. That's for sure. I think. For the majority of the season, tone Richard Money was the left back, but he wasn't the left back that afternoon at Man City. It was Clive no. Goodyear. What what can you remember about him? Obviously, as I said, he went on to become the club physio, but he played an important role in his own right on the pitch. Yes, he did, uh, because he first came into the side um, back in the eighty one eighty two season in our promotion season. We we were playing um, Crystal Palace at home. And uh, Mike Saxby was our, our centre-back, a really commanding centre-back, tough as no-nonsense. And uh, he he picked up an injury in that game. And uh, it, it was, it looked like a no-nothing, a, a nothing injury, but unfortunately, it eventually led to him retiring from the game early. And that was, a, that was such a loss. But Clive came through the youth system, came up and then came into the side as as a replacement for Saxby and and did really well, um, you know, in, in that position. And then uh, he, he was, he didn't command a, a regular place in the side. It, it was one of those cases where, you know, he's a little bit of a jack of all trades rather than master of one. So he was a bit like, like um, Wayne Turner. That way, so um, 
But there was one game I do remember in particular when that season in the first division that he eventually played at Main Road for us. He came into the side and he played centre back for us in in that game at home to Watford, and he scored. He scored the winning goal. We beat them one nil. And it was basically one of those, you know, a scuff shot from the edge of the penalty area that the the keeper didn't really see properly. So it, it just basically trickled into the back of the net, which made him a hero. Uh, anybody who scores against them, in my book, is a legend and a hero. Don't care who it is, makes you a legend and a hero. And um, I I remember him playing left back at at, at Main Road, and uh, again. He was more of a steady Eddie. He he, he wasn't flashy. He, did, he wasn't one of those players that you'd look at and go, he's outstanding. Like now, we were talking about Tom Lockyer earlier. Tom looks good. But Clyde Goodyear, he was Mr. Steady, reliable, would never let you down. And as well as that, he played safety first as well, which as a defender in my book is your number one priority. You know, you you you, you don't concede. And he slotted in there. He slot anywhere across that that back line. He slotted in there, and he did a good job that afternoon. He absolutely did. Yeah, and as I say, he went on to be a, a well-respected physio of the club for a long time. Actually. Well, I think he, eventually when he left us, I think he he went to Plymouth. I might not. I, I might have that wrong, but I did. And he was one of those players that. Yes, he's gone. He, he he's not going to get in the side. The side is moving on. At the same time, a little bit. Well, thank you, Clive what you did for us. and But you're right, he is more well-known as a physio than an actual player. And he, he's probably the, the, the one guy uh, from that main road side that everybody forgets about. You know, everybody thinks about um, Paul Elliott playing in it and Mal Donaghy and Kirk Stevens, Tony Godden in goal, who's online. You know, and everybody forgets Clive Goodyear. You know, but he gave he put a shift in there. He did the job for us and never let us down. No, absolutely not. Um, more on that. If you want to find out more on that season, we're going to go through it all um, over the course of the season on this podcast. But if you want to beat us to it, uh, the Hatters Heritage website has lots of great information on that game, that season and all those players that we are discussing. We'll look at the centre-backs in the next episode of the podcast. Uh, but thanks for the... Um, Information on the two fullbacks, Tony. Um, excellent as ever. Let's bring things back to the modern day then. Um, James, about three weeks ago or so ago, um, Major League Baseball played its All-Star game. And the following day, the Chelsea owner suggested that football in this country could have an All-Star game. North v South in the Premier League. I'm not sure how it works. I don't really care how it works. But he did say that uh, it could raise some much-needed funds to be passed down the pyramid. Now, whether that was his intention or not his intention, what do you make of the idea? Mate, to paraphrase The Rock from WWF, the, the Chelsea chairman, the Chelsea owner, can take that idea, shine it up real nice, turn that sum a bit sideways and shove it straight up his candy ass. Oh, I'm just fed up of it. Honestly, these ridiculous ideas, like no to the 39th game, no to parasitic foreign owners, no to sports washing, no to the endless greed, no to franchise football, no to the Yankee doodle dandification of our beautiful game and no 
to more fucking friendlies. I'm done that, with it. We don't need it. Just let me get confirmation. Is that an, is that a no from you? I thought he had some good ideas, but he no fucking <laughs> idiot. No, we don't need it. I'm just fed up of it. The top flight doesn't need to make more money. It needs to spread around some of what it's got already. We don't need these ridiculous ideas. And uh, it just feels like we might have, you know, we might have pied him off this time, but there's so many foreign owners and so many increasingly American owners in the top flight. They only need 14 votes to get an idea through. And eventually they're, they're going to come up with something. Else. The only hope we've got, I suppose, is that, uh, and something that they should learn from, is that we've shown what we really stand for when the European Six Breakaway Greed League uh, got announced and we quickly got that um, gone, or the fans of those clubs quickly got it gone. <sighs> That's just, you know, ridiculous, ridiculous decisions, or ridiculous ideas bringing over what works in American sport to what comes over here. We speak the same language just about. But we're not the same culture. I we disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I said just about. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is, though, is it doesn't actually work in American sports because uh, the NFL just this week have announced that their Pro Bowl, a.k.a. their All-Star Game, is being disbanded for a skill set competition, much like the Home Run Derby in um, in baseball. So it isn't like... Um, these all-star things are massive. The Pro Bowl in, in the NFL has weakened, weakened season on season on season for probably the last 10 years. Major League Baseball one was only as successful as it was three weeks ago because it was the first one for three years because of the pandemic. Uh, and even NBA, uh, you know, they're, they're not exactly pushing the boundaries with their um, all-star game these days. So it's not even working in America. That's the That's the craziness of it. And this guy actually owns you know, sports franchises in two of those sports. Ice hockey, it does work, but it only works in ice hockey because it's got the um, New Year's Day sort of slot that's, you know, it's the only game of ice hockey that goes on that day. Otherwise, I don't think even ice hockey fans would particularly care for it much. It's it, it's just such a weird thing. But Tony, is it a, um, another reminder that the independent regulator needs to be put in place ASAP? And as such, is it therefore a concern that all the vibes coming out of the Liz Trust cabinet office are that it's not going to be in place anytime soon, which is ironic because hopefully she won't be, but that's by the by. We need that independent regulator. Oh, oh God, yeah. More so now than ever. I'm, I'm not surprised with uh, the Trust cabinet. I mean, they don't know what they're fucking doing anyway. Um, but the, the, the whole thing of this, what a load of bollocks. I'm, I'm, I, I've I thought James held back a bit there, actually, to be honest with you. He didn't um, make his view I, quite clear enough. No, no, I, I, you know, I thought he was a bit understated there. Um, but no, I, 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 I've got to agree with, with, with James on this. I, I'm totally fed up and sick of these foreign owners coming in and thinking they know more about our game than we do. You've given the analogy of the NFL. Well, in the NFL, there's no promotion. There's no relegation. Um, you know, they. I remember being in America, and I'm talking about the differences to some Yanks over there, and they couldn't believe that in our football that we played over 40 league matches a season. What is it they play? 22. 
plus their playoff games and Super Bowl at the end of it. And their games only last an hour. Well, they don't. They, they're supposed to last an hour. They go on all afternoon. You stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. You've got one team for the attack, one team for the defence, and a special team to come on and kick it. And calling it football is a load of bloody wank anyway. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's... And again, with, with the Premier League. Now, I firmly believe, yes, we do need a regulator. Because I... I all decisions that affect the top level of the game, finance, formats and everything, should be decided by all the four top divisions, not just the Premier League. You know, because you know it yourself, with the Premier League, it's all about the big six, or as, as James said, the greedy six. Everything with those is about more money for them, more money for them, more money for them. And right, they don't need to bring any extra money. I mean, James has already said this with, with these games. I don't think it would get any fucking interest anyway, to be honest with you. Um, you know, uh, the Premier League is awash with money. You know, you look at the salaries players could get. Most of the top players get salaries that could keep half the bloody League 2 going for a whole season. It's it's just sheer unadulterated greed and craziness, and and I'm pig sick of it. We we do need this regulator to turn round and say what's what. We need more consultation with clubs down lower down the pyramid. We need consultation and a voice for the fans because they're not acting in the best interest of the fans. They're oh, it's only ever self interest. And you wait for it just as bad. The expansion of the the, the Champions League is sure it's crazy because they're now talking about cutting the number of games in the FA Cup and the League Cup, doing away with replays, and it, it's it's sheer craziness. You know, it's all about how can we get more? How can we squeeze that final bit of finance out of people? Um, you know, ticket prices, sheer greed. You know, you've got. Not just clubs in the Premier League, um, you know, bleeding supporters dry. It, it was a working man's game. Now, if you go to watch one of the big London clubs, you know, and you, you take kids, it's going to cost you a couple of hundred quid. You know, our game against them down the road in a few weeks, they're charging us £35 a ticket. What a bloody rip-off. And we need a voice. We need somebody there to turn around and say, hey, too much this is enough because eventually what's going to happen they're going to they're going to kill the, the goose that lays the golden egg through sheer bloody greediness and I, i'm not surprised that this government is planning to shelve this i thought this had happened all along so i i think now we, we need to get more vocal we need to you know actually do some serious demonstration I mean, the mood in the country at the moment is, and it's going to be very much the same with supporters, enough is enough. Enough is enough. We've had it. We've had enough of it. You know, elite taking everything and then leaving a few crumbs off the table for the rest to fight over. You know, I, you know people going about how the Premier League has improved football. It hasn't. The whole idea of the Premier League set up by the FA was 
to, for the benefit of the England team, to make the England team better, to make it competitive and give it a chance of winning, you know, international competitions. If anything, it's gone in reverse. <laughs> England are worse now than they've been for Yeah, and I'm not an England fan. I can sit back and look at it, and I do laugh at it, to be honest with you. But I, I just... I feel like banging my head off a brick wall because being that much older, I remember um, football in the 70s and the 80s, and there were some great cup nights. I remember um, Arsenal, uh, Liverpool, having a string of FA Cup replays, five or six replays, because it had to go to a replay to get to get a winner. And this this idea of... Stopping replays means now that if a, if a lower league club draws a, a, a Premier League club and it's decided on one game, it means the replay's gone now. So there goes our chance of getting even more revenue to help. It, 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 it's just crazy. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, you know, you, you, the first division as it was would play 42 games a season. So same with the second division. Third and fourth divisions would play 46 games in the season. You had to fit FA Cup, League Cup into that season. Okay, the worst Saturdays for it, not for the League Cup, but the worst, well, the worst for the FA Cup. Okay. Also, international football, there were no international breaks. International football was played in midweek on top of what you'd have to play. And also, it was the same with the European Cup, the European Cup Winners' Cup. And uh, what was the Fairs Cup originally became the UEFA Cup. Now you've got these big clubs who can go into Europe and they see that as, as their more important means of making money. And the, the Champions League, well, if it was a pure Champions League, then you'd only get the league title winners at each league taking part in that competition. And, and it, it, it's all stacked for elitism. And you know they're pushing for a mid-season break. They want that because they play too much football. A load of bollocks. That's the whole idea of having these big squads now. Yeah. You know, and you know full well that if they did get a two-week break in the middle of winter, they'd be off to the Far East playing bloody friendly games. You know, yeah. that's what they do. That's all they think about is the bank balance. And and I I, I look at it and despair. And and I I you know it, it it's not. The competition it was, you know, it, it, you've got this big six who have got a stranglehold on it at the top, and that needs to be broken. They need to be taken down a peg or two. I you guess, then, I, I guess, then, James, that it's a positive that this week Gary Neville was at the Labour Party conference um, making huge claims about the independent regulator. Hopefully, within 13 months, Labour will be in power, so that might have. Um, some sort of motion. And also the DCMS have met with the Air Football Supporters Association, haven't they, this week um, to get their views on it all. So there is still movement regarding the independent regulator, albeit far too many reports from the national papers are suggesting that Liz Truss isn't interested. Yeah, I mean, it already started to feel like the capital and region de- regional, didn't they? And uh, it was supposed to be sorted in the summer and nothing really happened. And, you know, is it any surprise that the current government uh, who've, who've come into power on a, on a, wave, uh, a wave of misery, 
I mean, they've clusterfucked everything already and they've barely been in the door five minutes. And, uh, and it, it, it smacks of everything that they're doing in society and in, in life, which is if it doesn't benefit the elite, then it ain't worth doing and, and fuck the rest of you. Uh, you know, they're, they're not even trying to hide it anymore. Uh, and, it, you know, for football... It's it's it feels like the same at the moment. That the, the the entire game is for the benefit of these rich clubs, um, and nobody else gets a real, a real look in. And it's to say it's 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 beyond disheartening when you look at the bigger picture. I'm just I'm just glad that we get to watch Luton and and get to be, you know following a club that does things the right way, but Luton shouldn't be that Luton are held up as like this sort of outlier and a bastion of how a football club should be run. And it shouldn't be like that. It should just be, that should just be the norm. Football clubs should all live within their means. They should all serve the communities that they are from first and foremost. They should all treat their fans like they're the most important part of the business and they should stop mugging them off at every single turn. But they're not, you know, most of, most of the Premier League is, you know, it's, 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 it's run by scumbags, vultures and vampires. And I don't know how you kind of fix that if you just carry on as normal, because it will just get worse and it'll get worse. And it'll get worse, and then maybe then the, the only thing that they can possibly do is that the, the whole thing collapses in on itself, and you have to start again. Um, Come the revolution, I mean, James. <laughs> well, Come the revolution. It, it, exactly. Everybody can see how easy it would be to fix. There just needs the will. Um, and and well, if it, football is not going to fix itself. Well, so it needs an independent regulator to come in and it, it needs that intervention just to, you know, it, it's not it's not exaggeration to say to save the game because it might not be now, it might not be in next year, it might not be in the next decade. You can't carry on like that. And eventually it, it, something something will give and it will give in a, in a big way. Um, you know, hopefully the clubs like Luton that are well run that won't affect them but if you're a fan of football you feel for you have to kind of feel for the fans who through no fault of their own their clubs don't exist anymore you know and and you know we've had plenty of examples of that in the lower leagues and it feels like that you know one one club too many going going under because of rogue owners or dodgy dealings is, is bad enough, but it, it kind of feels like that there should have been, there should have been more and it would have happened to more. And maybe that's the case. Maybe clubs are teetering on the edge and, and, and that's going to be a crying shame for the game because it's not those 18 teams in the Premier League that, that make up football in this country. There's a, there's a massive, there's a strong case to say it's the it, it's the seventy two in the leagues below 
Um, you know, we've talked a lot. We talked last season when the prospect was on and the Premier League was on. Now, we all wanted to get there because that's what sporting endeavour and sporting achievement is about. You want to win things. But we all know once we get there, it's going to be a fucking cesspit and it's going to be having to put up with getting rolled over at least 12 times a season when you play the top six because the the, the gap is that big. Um, you know, you all hope that you can get there and defy the odds. And that's what you live on as a fan of football, isn't it? It's the hope. But, but um, The hope that kills you. <laughs> it's, yeah, it is often the hope that kills you. But let's be honest, we've had a great 10 years to be here on the whole uh, with Luton. And um, hopefully that continues. But, you know, the wider picture and the wider health of the game is in real jeopardy. And, um yeah, to see that they're just going to mothball the idea um, of a regulator to bring it back to that is just just depressing, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think Tony's right. Well, what he said earlier that the voices have to be louder for the regulator now, probably than even when the um, fan-led review actually came out. You know, it's it's massively important, and um, the fact that they're talking to uh, the FSA will at least ensure that it stays kind of relevant um the thing is i suppose the thing is that the government even before this car crash iteration of the the government that nobody voted for came in they nailed their colors to the mast long before this that and they've done it quite explicitly now in the last week is that the only people they care about are um the elite the people that donate money to them the bankers clearly because they deserve a pay rise more than the ordinary working people but anything else outside of that they they don't understand culture they don't understand sport they don't understand music they don't understand all those things that enrich lives out they just understand greed 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 and uh, unfortunately we're seeing that you know trickle into other areas of our life now and it's you know enough is enough i guess i agree with you james you know if you look at football it's 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 a mirror of what's going on in government and society at the moment in the fact that you've got this elite at the top and it, 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 the whole idea is it's a trickle down but it doesn't happen i mean it's it, never it, worked. It, it's never worked because you know if you give tax breaks to the top the elite, they don't. They don't go out and spend the money. They just stuff it away in tax havens. That's what they mm. do. Whereas the way to get the economy going is to look after the people at the bottom, increase their take-home pay because they're the ones that will go out and spend it. So it means that these these companies that are manufacturing goods and services will get paid for it, and the the economy will grow. It's exactly the same in football. If they looked after the clubs at the bottom, it would be healthier all around for the game. And then, then you'd have, it, instead of a trickle down from the top, you'd have it percolating up from the bottom. Mm. Well, even if you look at, even if you look at it from a fan's perspective, if you're pricing fans out of going to the game and they can't afford to go to the game, they also can't afford to go into the town. They also can't afford to spend money in the town. They can't buy drinks at the pub, they can't eat food in the restaurants. And that doesn't help the economy in any way either. And so that's why the idea of power core is such a very strong one, because it's 
place in a football club at the heart of Luton Town, the community of Luton Town, and put in other things around the stadium that's going to keep people in the town and spending money in the town. And if you if you totally disregard or, or make people suffer and price them out of life, let alone football, the money's not going to come back and flood in where they're not going to spend anything if they can't afford to heat their homes and feed their kids, let alone spend money on football tickets and football kits and, and going into the town to do that. So, it's, you know, it, it, it's obvious well, everyone it, can see it. It's especially with the way um, the, the, the price of energy and everything is going. People are going to have less money to buy tickets, to spend, to go out. And so, uh, in a way, some of these clubs are cutting their own throats. Mm. I agree. Yeah. You um, mentioned the um, cost of energy and everything else, Tony. Let's move on to the next section, which is an EFL meeting on Thursday is to suggest clubs bringing kickoff times forward so they don't have to use the floodlights. And now I'm guessing this isn't necessarily the championship. This is more the League One and League Two clubs. But it just goes to show where we are in terms of football that clubs are doing this. But if a game kicks off at one o'clock, that's surely going to have a detriment to the away fans that are travelling. And this can't possibly be a good thing. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it is. Especially, I mean, it, that in itself is going to have a, a knock-on for for clubs that are out on the loop. I mean, you, you're uh, Carlisle's and uh, Newcastle, Sunderland, Plymouth and Exeter and, and, and teams like that. But again, you know, when, when we've got a game, when we've got to go up to Sunderland, it is going to have that uh, knock-on effect. Um, but if, if, it, if it was a question of leaving earlier in the morning um, so that a club didn't have to put its floodlights on, because you know full well if they did that, that's going to increase their energy costs, they're going to increase the price of the tickets. So is that something that supporters would, would prefer? Um, are we going to see a case where you'll pay a premium for a game that's played in the evening under floodlights? I don't know. Where does it where does it end? It'll be interesting to see what comes out of this meeting on Thursday, um, James, because obviously League One and League Two clubs are struggling now. And, you know, the cost of these floodlights, I mean, some of the costs that I've seen in the paper are astronomical just for turning the things on, let alone running them for 90 minutes. It may be that they can't fulfil the season. Well, it may be, it may be, but it, it, sh- it shouldn't come to this. This is, you know, it's a bigger thing than football. It's an absolute fucking disgrace. Why the energy prices are that high, and we're all being fucked over. So, the fat cats that own these energy companies that aren't doing anything to enrich uh, the, the, the planet Earth that we're on, they're, they're, they're not investing in the renewable or green energy. They're just taking and taking and taking, and, and we're all suffering. It's ridiculous in this country, absolutely fucking ridiculous that we're in this situation that we're all going to have to tighten our belts and be worse off. When neighbouring countries, France, they've only put up energy by 4% and they've put a windfall tax. It's the most simplest thing. If the companies aren't going to help us out, you tax them and get the money back that way. They're all doing it over the continent. But in this country, we're run by a, 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 a cabal of lunatics 
and it the, yes. and they they need to be removed. And I've I've said it before. I, I I just wonder what it takes for the people of this country to get out on the street and and protest and uh, and really show them what how we how we dislike it because you can guarantee if it was in France they'd be up in arms and they'd be out on the street and they'd be blockading things and there'd be riots and um it, you know maybe it takes something like this because I know people get so disillusioned with politics and they can drown they can drown it out and they can just not pay attention it's easy to do that and in fact that's probably what the politicians want because the less people that are involved, it means it's easier to control. But if it comes to this situation where it actually affects something you care about passionately, and let's be honest, football is one of the biggest things in our lives, it affects your club so they can't put on floodlights and it affects your, um, your, your, your passion for the game and essentially your own leisure time that you love to spend at the weekends and sometimes in midweek. Maybe that's the point where it, where people wake up and understand what how bad the situation is if they haven't already I don't know how you could not who's not worried about putting the heating on at the moment it's a fucking disgrace so you know we'll see what happens see what comes out of this meeting but it's <laughs> anyway you cut it it's not a good situation it really isn't a good no. situation and it will be really interesting to see what does come out of this meeting. As I say, I don't think it's the championship clubs that are necessarily proposing this one. I think the TV deal that the championship have got will keep all 24 clubs' um, floodlights going for as long as they need to be. But it's a big picture for the for the whole entirety of the game, particularly, as Tony said, those clubs are on the extremities of the north and the south of the country and um, fans getting there or not. Speaking of fans... Tony, well, well, well... Oh, you can say maybe the Premier League clubs can pay the energy bills of the clubs lower down the league. Yeah, it will certainly be interesting what the proposal is with regards to this um, EFL meeting. I do, I do believe that someone from the DCMS is at, is going to be at that meeting, aren't they? So at least there's going to be some sort of representation there uh, to help them out. So hopefully there's some sort of solving solving problem and we can just keep on playing football at three o'clock. Yeah. In the way that we are used to seeing it played, um, fans, Tony, Luton fans in particular, there was a few comments from um, Nathan Jones after the Blackburn win that seemed to blow up on social media um, because Nathan seemed to take umbrage with the fact that Luton fans expect to beat certain sides. Um, I have to say, I think on this podcast we're very much of the opinion that Luton don't Luton shouldn't beat anyone on this podcast, but if we play like Luton Town can we can beat an awful lot of sides in this league. However, I can understand how that's misconstrued, particularly when Nathan doesn't see no uh, social media and people obviously only show him certain snippets of it and things. But I don't think, you know, and I know, like James said um, earlier, that Nathan's addressed it today and kind of clarified what he was thinking. I don't think it's wrong for us to expect to beat a side like Wigan or a side like Coventry when you look at the table and they're bottom of the table and you're at home to them. You know, I, I don't think I think any Luton fan turning up to that game will think if we play like Luton can, we should win that game. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? Uh, no, on, on on the surface, no. Uh, and it's a perfectly natural thing for people to do because, you know, we do it ourselves when we look at our forthcoming matches and you know think about how many points we're going to get from that game or whatever. 
Uh, I, I think to a certain extent it, it, it's an overreaction and it, it's a storm in a teacup. Um, the reality of the situation is any team is capable of beating another team in this division. You know, you can't guarantee that uh, Coventry City at the bottom, if they play Sheffield United, you can't look at it and think, oh, yeah, that definitely three points for Sheffield United. You know, the Sheffield fans will be looking at it and thinking, yeah, we should beat Coventry, we should beat Coventry. But in the real world, you know yourself that it doesn't happen. You've only got to look at cup upsets and things like that, you know, which it happened to us earlier in the season. You're going to the game against Newport and you're thinking, oh, we should stuff these. Didn't quite work out that way on the night, did it? But you're never going to stop supporters thinking that. Um, you know, we come up against against it ourselves. How many times have, have um, opposition fans from so-called bigger clubs that, oh, it's only little loot and we should stuff them, we should stuff them. And we prove them wrong. Um, so I, I don't think you're ever going to stop that. Uh, and I, I think Nathan shouldn't really take any notice of it. it, it a lot of it is, it is just banter, and as I said, it's a storm in a teacup. You, you, you know yourself. Every club has got it to its own particular proportion of um, idiots. You know, in terms of hooliganism and and, and things like this. And it, it's very true. Remember, joking his comment. Football fans are donuts. Well, not all of them are donuts, but only just some of them, you know? Yeah, I think ultimately that Nathan's just a victim of his own success. If we weren't winning football matches, people wouldn't expect us to win football matches. So it's only got it spot on. Brush it off, take it for what it is and um, crack on. But us three are uh, just about to predict that we're going to win all five games coming up, I hope. So um, on the face of it, let, let, let's go through them. James, um, I'm always a bit wary about asking you for your predictions. But we've got Holloway on Friday night. Um, we won 3-1 there last season. James Breeze free kick, very much the highlight. Uh, when we didn't have no centre-offs, so we've got centre-offs this time around. So are we going to repeat that success? Yes, it's going to be a victory. Um, yeah, it's, been, it's been a decent hunting ground up there recent seasons. You know, the old Loa, Loa goal. And, um, everybody remembers that. Uh, but I, I think Luton... You know, they had been playing well without getting the results they wanted. Away had been better than the home form, but now the home form's off the back. And throughout that period, regardless of whether they were winning or not, Morris was banging them in. So um, I, I fancy him again to go up there and, uh, and do the business. Yeah, judging by Nathan's comments, Tony, it may be that we see Alfie Doughty's um, league debut on Friday night because I don't think Amari Bell is going to be in any fit shape um, to play that game once he gets back from New York so uh, that would be an interesting one to watch out for Yeah um, he's looked good in the uh, brief appearances we've seen of him but uh, to be honest with you Kev we should be t- beating teams like Hull City shouldn't we um, <laughs> uh, uh, Sorry I, I, I couldn't resist that um, No I, I, I expect us to win this game um, you know, uh, at least 2 nil. That's what I'm thinking. You know, there shouldn't be any reason why we shouldn't beat them. Um, we're, we're coming into a bit of form now. They are not doing particularly that well, but uh, it's like everything, you know, sometimes the best laid plans can go astray. And we're at the mercy of these um, inconsistent, uh, unbelievable officials as well. 
But no, I can't see any reason why we can't come away with three points from there. If you are listening, Nathan, I will give you Tony's contact details. You can take it up with him uh, personally. <laughs> um, following on from that then, James, is revenge in the air at home to Huddersfield? Very much so. Yeah, very much so. Obviously, the, the result didn't go the way, but um, Luton more than played them off the park for most of that second leg um, up there in the playoffs. But I think you're probably talking about the way that their fans reacted afterwards, aren't you, really? Which was, you know, an absolute disgrace. So um, I very much enjoyed the fact that they're struggling a bit and just hope that they can struggle some more. Um, saying that, whenever they come whenever they come to Canberra Road, it's never been a pretty game, is it? It's never been that enjoyable. Um, let's go. No, I'll be positive. Let's have another win. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, Hull have dropped to just above the relegation zone. Huddersfield are in the relegation zone. We've obviously pulled ourselves into the top half. You know, if you can use logic in this um, league, Tony, then it would suggest, particularly with our home form suddenly picking up a little bit, that it's a game that we can win. Uh, Matty Pearson, I believe, is still out injured. So we won't mm. have um, him down here uh, this time around. But, I mean, if we play like we did in that second leg, like James has just said, we surely have no problems. Because the only thing that went against us in that second leg was a lack of bodies. Well, we haven't got that this time around. No, we're we're uh, we're coming up to full strength, so that's good. And and certainly the uh, players should be motivated for this game. But Huddersfield are not the team they were last season. I mean, they've had a uh, the manager's gone. They've uh, you know they they've lost some of the better players, and they haven't replaced them with uh, the same sort of quality. So again. Um, I'm, ex- you know, I'm expecting three points from that one. Yeah, I mean, they got rid of a manager quicker than Watford, which takes some doing. So, you know, obviously things aren't. No, going. no, no, I'm not having that. I'm not having that, Kev. <laughs> Nobody sacks a, ma- a manager as quick as Watford, though. <laughs> so things obviously aren't going too well there. And it wouldn't be a surprise <laughs> if West Brom, by the time we go there a week on Saturday, uh, James are also looking for a new manager because they can't win a game of football under Steve Bruce. And there's only so many times they're not going to be able to win a game of football under him before he gets the boot into touch. Uh, West Brom is not a happy hunting ground for Luton, it has to be said. Unlike the uh, unlike Hull, I can't remember us winning at West Brom uh, recently. Obviously, last season in the league there, we were 3-0 down at the blink of an eye. Got it back to 3-2. Couldn't quite get the equaliser. Um how do you see that one going? On paper, that's one of these like really, really difficult games. West Brom should be top three, but they're actually bottom well, bottom four at the minute. Um, can you see it's getting something from the Hawthorns? I can this time around. I mean, I agree with you. When you look at the name, West Brom, you think, well, they're always going to be one of the strongest sides in this division. Um, but they are really struggling under Steve Bruce, and I hope they can keep struggling along a little bit longer with him under their... Um, I mean, he's one of these managers, isn't he, that seems to always get the nod somewhere, but sooner or later, surely you've got to realise he's probably yesterday's man now. He's busted flush in terms of being a coach that can motivate anyone because they're not short of cash, West Brom, so they can buy decent players. But if you can't get him to jail and play well, maybe there's other things going on behind the scenes, you know, you only have to look at Stoke 
when Jones was there, and even now, really, um, as to a club that's got the money, got all the gear, but no idea, really. Um, and now I hope that now I've said that, I've not talked us into uh, a, a defeat there, but, they, um, but they're struggling. So, you, you know, without wanting to say Luton should be going there and beating these teams, you you can have high hopes of going to a place like the Hawthorns and finally getting a result. Yeah, I mean, it's not a personnel thing for West Brom because you look through, I mean, they're on telly every week, aren't they? So you have no choice if you watch the championship but to watch them. You look through their squad, you know, Grant up front, Wallace, Swift, these are players that have got high numbers in the championship in recent seasons. And there's, you know, internationals all, all, all across the team. So it's it's not that, Tony, but it's something under Steve Bruce clearly isn't working for them. And I mean, obviously, they've been long admirers of James Bruce, so they clearly don't fancy their right back too much. So, you know, hopefully he can inspire us to, well, a very rare victory at the Hawthorns. Can you, can you remember us winning there? Uh, nothing springs to mind. I can no. uh, remember getting, uh, you know, a couple of draws there. But, um, you know, sometimes you look at it, you can have all the best players and for some reason it doesn't work. You know, yeah. it, 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 a, t- a team has got to click and, and they're not clicking at the moment. Um, I just hope that doesn't change with that game. But uh, I think we've got enough to win up there. I mean, we certainly look a lot better away from home than we do at home. So, I mean, I'll, I'll expect at least a draw there. I mean, that's mostly what they're doing, though, isn't it? They're the draw motion. Yeah, I see yeah. one weird yeah. bunch of draws and one defeat, and it's something seven, stupid. Seven, seven draws. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, more draws than the Pools panel, that lot. But, um, you know, <laughs> even a draw wouldn't necessarily be a bad result. They're given our, our recent no. history there. It's... Uh, it, it is bad. It's not good. It's not actually much better, James, at home to QPR, which uh, is the following Saturday. Uh, for those who haven't remembered from the start of the season, it is a 12.30 kickoff. It's been kind of hidden a little bit, um, that fact. But it is a 12.30 kickoff, obviously, because of what happened down there last season. Uh, the home game last season. For everyone who tells me Cal Naismith's a great defender, I always play them in the direction of that um, afternoon because he lunged in twice and it cost us twice. But I'm still sat here wondering how the hell we didn't win that game. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that seems to be always the case with QPR, though, doesn't it? Um, absolutely robbed last season. Um, the only solace after that was that they thought that that was their cup final, and the way they reacted and the way they celebrated the, suggested so. And then they uh, they absolutely shit the bed after that, didn't they? So and looking to the playoffs. So um, yeah, sometimes you don't always win the the battles, do you? But um, it's one of those where they 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 do something off uh, off this Luton side, and um, hopefully that can come. I'm going to sit on the fence there to draw. Yeah. yeah, I think this is a trickier game than it probably even a trickier game than it looked last season actually, because they've got Steven Gerrard's assistant there, haven't they, as manager now, and no one really knows quite what he's like after ten games. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if they've changed style, and they 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 seem to either win big. Or lose big, so hopefully it's the latter, Tony. Uh, I hope so. I really hope so because we owe them big time. But to be honest with you, Kev, uh, James, I, I can't. I, I'm going into that expecting to lose because they always seem to get the rub of the green against us. They get all the luck going in the world, 
And no matter how well we play against them, we we never get anything against them. I mean, I, I live in hope, but my head says, no, we're not going to get anything. They're going to get a scabby last-minute goal like they did last season, uh, and, and we're going to come away disappointed again. Yeah, it's just one of those fixtures that as a Luton fan you go into, yeah. you fear the worst and you hope for the best, but the best never arrives, isn't it? But it's going to happen at some point. I mean, you look at all these records that we've knocked off over the last sort of 15 months with the teams that we never beat. So let's hope that we can um, beat QPR. And then finally, James, um, for this part of the podcast, the last time I went to Norwich City was a very, very, very memorable afternoon uh, when we were a non-league club, knocked them out of the FA Cup. Obviously, the town have played there since then, but that was in the COVID season when uh, none of us could go. Kind of a good thing that none of us could go because we've got a bit of a drubbing. Um, they're not, they don't seem like the Norwich side that were the previous two incarnations of the Norwich side that dominated this league, albeit they're on a nice little run. That's going to be a tough night at the office, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they're still second in the league, aren't they? And you're approaching court, court the way through the season. Um, and those stats start not to lie. So... It's going to be a very tricky one, that one, and I kind of am expecting to lose that one. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no Harry Kane up front for um, Norwich on this occasion, um, Tony, and obviously, thankfully, we're not non-league. It's, it's a little bit more of a level playing field, but I suppose you'd take a loss if we win the game that follows that we're not going to preview in this podcast because we'll do a proper preview of that one in our next podcast. But if I said to you now we'd lose that game at Norwich, but we win the Watford game, you would snap my hand off. Of course, of course I would. But with this game, I, I think they're not the side they were um, a couple of seasons ago. Uh, they're, they're certainly weaker um, and we're a lot stronger. So it, it's um, a lot more even. Um, they, we could get a nice, pleasant surprise and, and pick up three points there because away from home, we're not an easy side to beat, apart from the Bristol City away game where we didn't perform. Um, but we are generally hard to beat and to score against. Um, and we could nick it on the break. Um, again, I'd, I'd be happy with a point there. I'd be happy with a point there. I think we're more than capable. We're capable of winning it, as, as we are with all games, but I'll be more than happy with a point. Yeah, I would too. We owe them a thank you because it was them that created Carlton Morris and obviously we're paying the full benefits of that he kind of played down when I asked him about going there whether there was any but I got the vibes that he'll be uh, right up for that that night as um, hopefully we all be all will because hopefully by that time it's kind of a top six battle and um, kind of key to the season of both of us really uh, so I think over the course of the next five games I think the three of us see us probably fair and okay in the first three but the, the last two might be um, tricky assignments but we'll all take that um, absolutely sure. As long as the progression being made to our league position and our league points, we'll all be very happy. That's it for this episode of the Luton Town Sports Trust podcast. As I've said, we will be back before that big game next month. I'll get a player along um, for another chat on that podcast and we'll do a full preview of that Watford away game. It's going to be a great occasion and it's one that d- deserves uh, full dedication from ourselves and we'll give it that. Um, before we leave, uh, thanks to everyone who got in touch regarding the Carlton Morris podcast. Glad that you all enjoyed it. Hope that you enjoyed the chat with 
Alan Campbell in the first part of this podcast. Thanks, James. Thanks to Tony for their opinions. And, uh, well, I'll see you both at football matches soon. And if I don't see anyone else before then, uh, until the next podcast, um, we'll see you and say goodbye. <laughs>